We're going to turn to Exodus chapter 16. Second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 16. If you don't have your Bible, I want you to look up at the screen. We're going to start reading right here, right now. The first five verses, this is what it says. It says, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. Wait, what am I doing here? Am I in the right place? Oh, I'm in the right place. Okay, 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 okay. just make sure. Okay, okay, which is between Elam and Sinai. Is it right up there? Okay, okay. See, we're all doing so good together. Let's start over. Verse 1. The whole Israelite community. Everyone say the whole Israelite community. That's a lot of people. Set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day, on the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community, everyone say the whole community. The whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only, everyone say if only. Say it dramatically like, if only. Yeah, there we go. We had died by the, no, don't say that. Don't say that. that. You don't say that in church. We had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There, there in Egypt, we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly, assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day. Everyone say each day. Each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to which all God's people said. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We love you. We love you. God, I thank you that your very presence is in this room. Lord, I thank you that every young man, every young woman, every sixth grader, every seventh grader, every eighth grader, every adult in this room is not here by accident. Father, it is a privilege for us to get to open up your word and to hear your thoughts. So Father, my prayer tonight is that you would give myself and you would give my brothers and my sisters ears to hear. As Paul says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. And so, Lord, you have given us the opportunity to hear your word this evening. I pray that you would show us yourself. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in here who their faith is not real to them yet. I pray for my brothers and sisters in here who couldn't care less about relationship with you. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in here who do not take you seriously. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in here who have a vibrant relationship with you. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in here who are anxious, who are fearful, who are lonely. I pray that you would meet all of us tonight. That you would encounter us. Holy Spirit. That you would open up our eyes to see you. That you would open up our minds to understand you. Our ears to hear you. And most importantly, our hearts to believe you. I pray we would believe your word tonight. So Holy Spirit, would you come? If you can agree with that, can you say amen? Who here likes to be in control? Yes. Yes, Ashton. Like that absolute. We love. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you were not in control? If you are not raising your hand right now, you don't realize that you are not in control, right? 
we all have moments in our lives where it's like we, but like those moments where you really feel it. You really feel that like you're out of control. Let me give you an example. I like to golf. Do I have any golfers in here? There's like a couple of you, a couple of you. I didn't like to golf in junior high. I couldn't care less for it. It's kind of like lame when you watch it. But here's the thing. Shh, lock in with me. A couple years ago, I was up in Keystone. Does anybody know where Keystone is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was up in Keystone. It was in the fall, okay, and I was playing at Keystone's River Run course. Now, the cool thing about this course is it's not just kind of like a flat, straight course. This course has like tons of hills, and it's really steep, and it's on a mountain, and you kind of go up and down. And I was playing, and my wife came with me. Now, my wife doesn't golf. She just likes me to buy her a Starbucks, and she drives the golf cart. Okay, this is what we do like in our marriage. It's like she'll buy the, she'll sit there and she'll drive like to the ball and she'll like totally critique me and she'll judge me and say you really are terrible at golf and enjoy her Starbucks while I play. Well, on this particular day, it was raining. Yeah, but here's the thing, I love rain. Who here loves rain? Yeah. Like, like you're my. You're my people who really enjoyed this last Saturday. It was like overcast the whole day. If I like, like all you girls, like today's a day for a pumpkin spice latte. Like, like it's Starbucks. Yeah, no, like, I love the rain. And so I'm, we're going out golfing and it starts raining. She's like, do you still want to go? And I'm like, of course I want to go. It's, it's the rain and it's golf. Two things that I love. But here's the thing. We get to like hole five or six. And on this particular hole, you tee off at the top of the mountain and then you got to drive down the path to like get down to the fairway, which is quite steep. The thing is, when it's raining, the golf like cart path is very, very slick. Now here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. My wife, she's not here tonight. None of you tell her I said this. My wife is not the greatest driver. Okay? <laughs> she's not the greatest driver. Like, like. Hear, hear me, I would trust probably 80% of you just watching you do red light, green light and getting it. I would let you drive my car. I sit in that passenger seat like take me to church, take me to church. And I'd let you guys say like my wife is not the greatest driver, okay. She's not the greatest driver. Here's the thing. So we're, we're driving down, we're driving down this golf cart path. It's raining outside. It gets slick. And my wife has a hard time understanding like the proper time to like hit the brakes, hit the gas. Everything in between when you drive, right? We're going down this car path, and it starts, it starts turning this way as the path's going down. Now, you're going to learn this soon enough. When you are driving, you are usually on the left side of the car, right? Like that's where the driver is located. She starts going down. I'm sitting in the path, and I'm like, I'm, I'm in heaven. I'm like looking at God's nature. I hit a great drive. I landed in the fairway. I'm like, this is a, this is a good day. And then all of a sudden... We start going down, she gets too fast, and she slams the brakes. She slams the brakes, and the cart begins to, to spin like this. Now, here's the thing. My wife, my wife, in her, like, infinite knowledge of, like, the best thing to do in this moment, right as the cart begins to shift and we are heading downhill, and she's like, I'll just bail out. So she literally hops out the golf cart <laughs> and just moves. As I'm sitting in the passenger seat and I'm shifting this way. And I'm not, I, I can't reach the gas pedal, I can't reach the brake. So I'm like leaning over trying to grab the wheel as the cart starts spinning like this down the mountain. I come to the bottom and it's like something you'd see in the movie where it hits the bottom and the golf cart goes up on two wheels. 
I'm like about to fall out and then boom, golf clubs go flying everywhere. I'm sitting down like my hat is off. I'm like, I'm like red hot like I, I'm going to die. Meanwhile, I look up the mountain to my wife. <laughs> holding her Starbucks. Her nice pumpkin spice latte. She's going, you good, babe? The mother of my children, folks. The mother of my children. This was a moment in my life. Whenever I think of a moment where I felt out of control, I'm at the mercy of this golf cart. I'm at the mercy of the golf cart path. Like, there's nothing I can do to change my circumstances. And I end, I end up coming to this place where you realize, and all of a sudden it's like I start to feel safe because I start to like feel in control again. You notice how in life we have those moments where like things begin to get out of control, we start freaking out, and then like something happens where it might rain in or it doesn't get better. Usually this is where anxiety comes from, right? Fear comes from. You begin to realize like your lack of control. Everyone say control. See, here's the thing. This is what I love about this passage. A lot of people don't realize this when we get to Exodus 16. This is a moment where God is really showing Israel, you are not in control. You or I are not in control. But here's the thing. If we really take a step back, this isn't the first moment we see Israel out of control, is it? How many of you have been here for the last like six weeks? Have at least come to one or two? One or two messages. I mean, yeah. I mean, okay, so if you've been here, you've got to hear Pastor Mateo go through a couple different messages where like, like we, he, he's talking about like the plagues, right? Like, like God sends Moses into his, back into Egypt and he's, he's talking to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, nah. And so all of a sudden we see all of these weird things happen, like, like the Nile turning to blood and we have frogs and locusts and, and we're seeing like livestock catch like disease and all of a sudden it's like pitch black over Egypt and then it like kind of culminates into like, like the angel of death coming through and like taking the firstborn of all the Egyptians. And what we begin to see already, Israel's having a front row seat to, oh, Maybe the world isn't what I thought it was. Maybe I'm not in as much control as I thought it was. Then it's like Pharaoh finally breaks and Israel gets to leave Egypt. But here's the thing. You know, like when you're a slave, you don't get vacation days. Right? I know, it's like logic. It's like, it's like, it's like hey, 400 years. I know, I'm with you, bro. I'm with you. Like, like 400 years, they've been in Egypt this generation, shh, bear with me. This generation's not seen outside Egypt. They have no idea where they're going. They have no idea what the promised land looks like. And so all of a sudden they're like, okay, we're leaving Egypt. Where are we supposed to go? And you know how God directs them? He doesn't give them a map. He goes, this is how, this, this is how you're going to go where I tell you to go. During the day, I'm going to give you a pillar uh, of cloud, a, a cloud pillar to follow me. And you're just going to kind of trust it. And then at night, I'm going to give you a pillar of fire, and you're just going to have to follow it, and you're just going to have to trust it, okay? And then all of a sudden, they come to the shore of the Red Sea. Now, in God's infinite plan, I mean, God is sovereign, right? Like, he's ultimately powerful. He can do all things. It would have been nice if, like, they crest up over that hill to the Red Sea. I mean, we have hundreds of thousands of Israelites, like a mighty nation coming out of Egypt. Like, if they looked at the sea and God just had, like, 30,000 boats, lined up perfectly for them right there. They're, all, they're like cruise lines, you know, food on top of them, unlimited, a little Disney slide going down. 
Like, like it would have been so nice. They come up over there and it's like, okay, this is how we're going to get across the Red Sea. But that's not what God does. They come to the shore of the Red Sea and they look at Moses and go, what now? And they have this Egyptian army right behind them. They're at the mercy of like whatever is going to happen. And God says, okay, now that you're here, Moses, I want you to go out. I want you to stretch out your staff. And I want you to show them what I'm going to do. So Moses goes out. He stretches out. And all of a sudden, I mean, the Red Sea parts. And we have the entire nation of Israel go safely across on dry ground. Now, as you can see here, circumstance after circumstance after circumstance, God is revealing to Israel, they are not in control. And yet here again in Exodus 16, they're in the wilderness. They're in the desert. And so it's like, okay, God, you brought us to this land. And there's no food in this land. There's nothing for us to eat. There's nothing for us to drink. What are we going to do? And the whole, the whole moment here that God has, of what God is doing with Israel, he's going, I want to show you a new way to live. Most people want to live their life. If, if we were to use the car analogy, okay, if we use the car analogy, like most people want to live their life with like both hands on the, the steering wheel, right? Like we want to be in control to the left, to the right, stop, go, put it in reverse, all that jazz, right? Like we want to be in control. But here's what God's saying. He's going, no, no, no. Actually, to be my people, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to live life like this. You're going to have to live life understanding that you are not the person in control of your life. I'm going to be the person in control of your life. And all of a sudden, this is, this is like an awakening to Israel. And here's the thing. Control feels good, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Everyone's like, Shabba. Shabba. Like control, control feels good. Like when, when you're in control of your schedule. Ooh. If I could just roll into school at 11.30 p.m. and just do it at night, right? Like not even go during the day, just at night, you know, like when I'm awake. And then like if I could wake up every day at 10 o'clock and if I could have that pumpkin spice latte and if I could have some scrambled eggs and some hash browns and some fruit, hallelujah, okay? Like, like if I could just have that every day and it's like, and you know what? I don't even have to make it. Someone make it for me. You know what I mean? Like, like if we could be in control of our schedule or if, or if, if you, could be, if you could be in control of your circumstances, you got to choose what sports teams you made at any time you wanted to. You got to choose what people wanted to be your friends. Yeah, better ask somebody, right? Like you got to choose your family, right? Like, you're like, yeah, I would have got rid of that one. I would have kept that one. I would have added that one, right? Like, if only, if only you could be, if only you could be, like, why? Because when we're in control, shh, when we're in control, at least when something goes wrong, we know who to blame, right? Like, if, if you got an F in math, that's a bad example. Let me, let me choose a different subject. Because sometimes it's math's fault. It's not your fault. I'm going to just say it like that. If you get a bad grade on a paper, if you get a bad, bad grade on a paper in English, you can at least say, well, it's because I didn't turn in the paper. <laughs> right? Like you're, you're in control. And here's the thing. 
What God is wanting to do with Israel right now is he's wanting to say, look, I know you've been slaves for the last 400 years. I know that you've seen a way of life for the last 400 years, but I'm going to teach you something new. I'm a different God than the gods you saw back in Egypt. I'm going to teach you that I'm a God who's good and I'm a God who's in control. And here's the fun thing. Listen, listen here. There's a way that God gets us to release control. There's a way that God teaches us to let go of, to let go of control and to trust him. And you know how he does that? He gives us gifts. He gives us gifts. Who likes to get a gift? Yes, yes. That's my wife's like love language. She's like, just shower me with gifts. Buy me something all the time. We all love to be given gifts. Like gifts are awesome. They're incredible things. And he, this is what I love about this passage is this passage kind of reveals to us how God goes about breaking control. I'm going to give you four quick points. Everyone say four quick points. If you, got, if you got a notebook, I want you to follow along with me, okay? Four things about God's gifts that shows you how we release control. Number one is this, is that God's gifts cannot be earned. They can't be earned. In other words, you can't cash in money and get a gift back from God. It has to be God just simply giving it. Let me show you this here. We're going to shoot to verse 4. Verse 4, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will what? Rain down bread from heaven for you. Okay, I want you to think about the moment. God, like, like all of these people literally just watch God split the Red Sea. They are in the wilderness now. They watch God do all of these things. And what does it say they began to do as a community? They grumbled. They complained. They began to look at Moses and Aaron and say, you brought us here to die. Like what was your purpose? And you know what God's response is? I will rain down bread for you. In other words, though you did nothing to earn my affection, though all you do is complain, though all you have done up to this point is nothing, and I have done everything, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to rain down bread for you. You know what this means? It means that there are no gold stars in heaven. It means that like you, like you don't get to like earn like participation points in heaven. When I was in sixth grade, where are my sixth graders at? My sixth graders right here? When I was in sixth grade, my sixth grade literature teacher, her name was Miss Teal. I went to James Irwin. It looked like a prison. It was awful. Okay. My sixth grade literature teacher, we, we'd walk in after lunch and she started this thing second semester called character candy bars. It was like the greatest thing ever. And she would sit there and she'd stand up and she would choose five students once a week. She'd pull out this like massive bucket of like, like the king size like candies, you know. And she'd, she, she would sit there and then like she would look at all of us and then she would call a name. And I remember the first time, this is a subtle flex, she called my name. She said, Tim Shepard. I said, yes. She's like, you faithfully show up. You're very attentive. You're a really respectful young man. You get a candy bar. And I was like, I've arrived. I've arrived. Now, here's the thing. Like, like candy bars aren't my thing. I like Skittles and Starburst. Like, those are my thing. But, but words of affirmation are my thing. And I felt like I was on cloud nine in front of the class in that moment. It was like, yes. And it was, so what did I do after that first week I earned a character candy bar? Ooh. I started performing. 
I come sit down, hands folded, you know, when you're sitting on your desk. She goes, class, you're like, yeah. You're like, you're ready and attentive on all the, every week, because I'm like, I want to be called every single week. And if I ever didn't get called, it was like utter disappointment. You know what I mean? Like, oh. And here's the thing, like, a lot of people think that's how God treats his people. Oh, my God. Mateo, Mateo, you did six quiet times this week. You memorized 17 verses. You went to church for a month straight. Character candy bar. Character candy bar. Like, like you said, my Charlie, Charlie, Steve's monster. Like, like, hey, hey, you know what? I know, like, you, you were faithful in reading scripture. You didn't gossip with your other friends there, you know. I'm going to give you manna from heaven tomorrow. You're going you're gonna to eat that bread. You know what I mean? And this is how we think God acts. It's like, hey, if you get your act together. Hey, if you behave well. You memorize scripture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got you. I got you. I got you. Like, like you do all those things. God will reward you. But shh. It's, it's kind of opposite here in this text, isn't it? Here he's going, hey, you complain. I'm going to give you bread tomorrow. Hey, though you haven't done anything for me, though in fact like all you've done is like take from me, I'm going to give something to you that's going to give you life. But this is really important, brothers and sisters, because if we think God is a God who cashes out gifts when we do everything right to get them, then we don't have a right image of God. And God's not interested in sharing lordship with that picture of God. So what we have to do is, is we have to go, okay, wait, what is the image of God that like he is giving us from his word? And he's going, look, I do not love my people based on their performance. I do not love my people based upon what they can do for me. My love for them is going to be rooted in my own character and my own nature. So despite the fact that you're grumbling and complaining, I'm going to give you something that you cannot earn. Bread from heaven. God's gifts cannot be earned. Point number two is that God's gifts are necessary to live. Everyone say necessary to live. Verse three, look at this. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, that we sat around pots of meat and we ate all the food that we wanted. But you, they're looking at Moses and they say, you brought us here. We're going to starve. We're not going to be able to live unless God steps in. I can't live. You know a funny thing about oxygen? Is oxygen doesn't feel like a gift until you can't breathe. Right? You ever gone underwater? And you get to that moment where you're like. <laughs> right? Like you start kind of convulsing. You look weird. And it's like all your body wants is what? It wants air. It wants air, like, 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 but we don't ever think, we, you're not even thinking about it right now. You're not thinking about the fact that you went, and you can see, you can be, you're not thinking about it, why? Because oxygen doesn't feel like a gift until you can't breathe. You know food? That lovely God-given gift, food? Now here's the thing. Food really feels like a gift when you're like hungry, but food can just feel like a gift all the time. You know what I mean? You get some of that Chick-fil-A. And you start, you, you have that Chick-fil-A milkshake with them waffle fries. Shabbat, right? Like, like food feels like a gift though 
When you're hungry, water. Any of you ever been thirsty before? Yeah. 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 Holla, holla. If you did student camp this last summer, you know what I'm talking about. Right? Yeah, exactly. Water doesn't feel like a gift until you're what? Thirsty. This is the thing. What Israel is coming to find here is a wait a minute. Unless God gives us something that we cannot provide in and of ourselves, we are going to die. And so what we have to see here, whether you see it or not, if you're a human being living on the earth right now, every breath that you take, every sunrise that you get to see, every sunset that you get to witness, especially here in Colorado, is a gift from God. You breathe because he allows it. You have life because he allows it. You have family, relationship, things in your, you're well provided for. You have a roof over your head. You have food in your belly because God allows it. He has provided it. His gifts are necessary to live. And Israel is learning this first, firsthand. Looking out at the one, they go, we have nothing to eat. And he goes, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to rain down bread for you. And every day you are going to receive it. Which brings us to point number three. God's gifts have to be received daily. Oh, they must. Oh, they must. Oh, they must. I want you to notice. Look at this. Look at this picture. Pay attention. I got to go fast. We're running late on time. Even in junior high, I take too long. Mateo's laughing right now. Verse 4b, look at this. He said, the people, this is God talking. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for what? That day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they follow my instructions. Hop ahead to verse 19 and 20. It says, then Moses said to the people of Israel, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them, everyone say some of them. Some of them paid no attention to Moses or the Lord. They kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. So this is what happens. God said, this is what I'm going to do for you. Though you've done nothing for me, I'm going to give you manna from heaven every day. And here's my instruction to you. You're to go out every morning, collect it, and eat it. All that you need for that day. Eat until your heart's content, okay? But I don't want you to take any of it, and I don't want you to try to store it up. Don't worry about that. I'll provide for you the next day. And some of them said, no, 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 no. We don't know if this God is going to keep providing it every day. We need to store it up. We need to put it up in the pantry for when we're hungry later. And so they tried to put it up, and what happened? It turned to maggots and it began to smell. What is God doing here? I mean, wouldn't it have been, like, think about it. Wouldn't it have been nice if God just dropped a Walmart right in the wilderness? Like, doesn't this make more like, like, God, give me some King Supers, right? Like, with a quick checkout and, like, we can go in. Shh, shh, pay attention with me. And they can grab their food every day. And it's like, yeah, God's like, God's like providing it. No, no, no. God goes, no, 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 I don't want you to try to live on my gifts from yesterday. I want you to live on the gifts that I give you today. You're not breathing and living on the oxygen that you breathed yesterday. You're living and breathing on the oxygen that God has provided for you today. And so what God is telling Israel here is he's like, look, if you're going to be my people, you're going to have to trust that I am who I am day by day. Are you with me, junior high? You with me? Now this goes to Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount, right? 
You go to Matthew chapter 6. Can we put this on the screen? He says, therefore, what? About what? Tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He's going, look, what God has given you today is a gift. You do not need to worry about what is coming tomorrow. Israel had to learn this first, like firsthand experience in Exodus 16. They're like, we're not going to worry about if we're going to have food tomorrow. We'll trust that God will give it then. But today, he's given enough. But here's the thing. This is, this is like, the, how many of you at Christmas, when you go down at Christmas and you see all of your gifts there, this is how I was when I was a kid. I probably don't do it in junior high anymore. But like when I was like eight years old, I'd run down and I'd get, I'd get to the tree and I'd find all my gifts and I'd start assessing. i go, okay, like, what do we got? And then what I'd do is I'd get all my gifts and I would line them up from smallest to biggest. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? And I'd be like, okay. I want to be like increasingly intrigued throughout the holiday. So I'd start with the smallest, open it up, and it's like socks. That's awesome. Open up the next one. It's like a pocket knife. That's sweet. You get to the next one, you open it up. A soccer ball. I don't know. Like, and you get, and you have this like anticipation as a kid that like you're getting to like the ultimate gift, right? And here's the thing. God has an ultimate gift that he gives us. Like it's special. It is like the gift above all gifts. It is the gift that supersedes all gifts. It is the gift that like keeps on giving. And you know what it is? The greatest gift that God gives us, point number four, is himself. And I need you to catch this. Because what God is really teaching Israel in this moment is not that they're going to find a way to live just on the things that they give him, that he gives them, but they're going to find a way to live life day by day on him being a faithful God to them, despite the fact that they are unfaithful. Are you with me? Hear me, brothers and sisters. This holds true for us today. The greatest gift that God gives believers, those who follow him, is not healing. It's not healing. The greatest gift that God gives us is not wealth. It's not health. It's not community. It's not our strengths. It's not our talents. It's not your money. It's not your family. It's not your success. Like that, that is not, those are shallow gifts, cheap gifts. In comparison to a man whose name is Jesus. Let me show you this verse in Matthew or John chapter 6. You see, a lot of people, there's a lot of moments in Scripture where in the New Testament they refer back to Exodus 16. This moment where God provided manna from heaven. And this is what happens here in John 6. I want you to pay attention. It says, so they, people who are talking to Jesus, they said to Jesus... Then what sign do you do? Let me give you context. Jesus just fed the 5,000. He fed all of these people with five loaves of bread and two fish. They watched this man take this small amount of food and he multiplied it. 
And he fed all of these people. And so now they're like, we need to make this guy our king. He has the ability to, to take care of us in ways that no one else has done before. So they start seeking him out. And they find him and they say like, like hey, where, where did you go? And he goes, look, you're not seeking after me because of who I am. You're seeking after me because I gave you bread and you ate and your bellies were filled. And he's like, look, don't work for that type of food. In other words, don't work for food that's only going to last a little bit. He's like, work for food that lasts for forever. And so then they say this to him. They go, look, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What are you going to do that's going to tell us you are who you say you are? What work do you perform? Now look what they said here. They say our fathers, our ancestors, back in Exodus 16, they ate manna in the wilderness as it is written. He, he being God, gave them bread. From heaven to eat. Pay attention here. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 34, they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. They said, yeah, yeah, yeah. We want some of that. Where is it? Where can we get it? 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Jesus looks at them and he goes, what you're looking for, like, like the high that you're looking for in, in that addiction behind closed doors, the intimacy and the friendship that you are looking for in your friends at school, the belonging that you are looking for in your family, the peace that you are looking for in your anxiety, the hope that you are looking for in your depression, the feeling that you are looking for in your numbness, Jesus says, that's me. I am what you need. Where's J-Lo? Is J-Lo in here? J-Lo, can you go ahead and come up here? I want you to do me a favor. We are like so late. I can't see the time. What does it say? Before 8.30. But we're going to go late. So this is what I need you to do. I need you to stand up. I need you to come forward. I want my eighth graders up here. Eighth graders, up here. Get up here. Praying for it, sixth grade, seventh grade. I don't know if it's possible. Teo, can you see if we can bring down the lights at all? If there's any way, shape, or form. Bring it in. We can swing it out over here just a little bit more. Swing it out over here just a little bit more. If you're already up here, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to get on your knees. I want you to get on your knees. I want you to look at me. Look at me. Our God statement tonight is God sustains. Everyone say God sustains. God sustains. This is what I mean by that. Whoever's being dramatic over here, I want you to calm it down. Calm it down for me. This is what I mean by that. When we read this scripture, when we read Exodus 16, what we see is that life for followers of Jesus is not maintained by our performance. Life 
for followers of Jesus is not maintained by our religion. Life for followers of Jesus is not maintained by what you do for God. But it is maintained and it is sustained by what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Look at me. I need you to look at me. The God of the universe, the creator of all things, the alpha and the omega, look at me, wants a personal relationship with every young man and every young woman in this room. You know how I know that? You're here tonight. You're here tonight. And here's the thing. You're 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. You're either just entering into junior high, a sweet moment in your life. You're about to enter into high school, a difficult moment in your life. You're at a point in your life where this faith is going to become your own or it won't. You'll take this seriously or you won't. You'll see that this is a God who loves you or you won't. And as, a, as an older brother, I want to urge you, like this moment in your life, tonight, for every single one of us, including myself, including J-Lo, including Charlie, including Pastor Mateo, and Lauren, and Nate, and Ruth Ann, like anybody who's in here, like God wants to reveal himself. I want you to close your eyes. Close your eyes. I want you to think of the area of your life that's most difficult right now. Maybe it's some secret sin or addiction that you got going on that nobody knows about. And, and the assumption is like, hey, you're just in junior high. You wouldn't be dealing with that yet. You wouldn't be doing that yet. You wouldn't be wrestling with that yet. But you know it's something that's been going on for a really long time. And you are ashamed of it. You are riddled with shame. And this is why you're like numb to Jesus. It's why you're numb to church. Because like, like that shame has clouded everything else in your life. And that shame has become your identity. Maybe, maybe it's like some really insecure thoughts that you think about yourself. Your body image. Maybe, maybe like the difficult area in your life right now is your family. And you hate your family. You hate being there. You feel so afraid. You feel so alone. You feel so worn out. And I need you to hear me. What the gospel is saying, what Jesus is saying, is he's saying, look, you do not have to get it together and then come to me. I'm coming to you. What Jesus is saying is, look, you don't have to put your life back together. I'm going to put your life back together. What I need you to do is trust me. I will sustain you. And usually this is that moment that begins to creep in. Like, yeah, well, if I trust Jesus tonight, but then tomorrow I feel the same way, what then? I got good news for you. God sustains. In other words, he keeps being everything that you need every day, not just today. You are not alone brothers and sisters, the God of the universe wants relationship with you. He wants to sustain you. You know what he wants to do? He wants to give you the ability to take a deep breath. 
He wants you to know that he has the ability to be a proud father despite how you think of yourself as a son or daughter. This is what I want you to do. I want you to keep your eyes closed. And I want you to have a moment with the Lord right now. A moment with the Lord. Don't talk to the person on your left or your right. And I want you to, I want you to identify where you are at. Where you are at in your faith. you in the place where it's like you haven't taken this seriously but there's been a reason for it and you would like to but you don't feel capable of it tonight is a moment for you to meet and be encouraged and be satisfied by the God of the universe he is our life he's the bread of life all of those who come to him they're never going to go hungry again all of those who come to him are never going to go thirsty again so this is what I want you to do. I'm going to have J-Lo kind of enter into a moment of worship here. And between just you and the Lord with you on your knees, I want you to work that out with God. Giving him that difficult part of what's going on. Giving him that area that you're having a hard time trusting with him. And then this is just what I want you to say over it. God sustains. He's enough. He's given me himself. And he is this is what I want you to do. When you've had that moment with God in faith, you can trust that God's got it, that he's sustained you. I want you to stand up and begin to worship with, with, with J-Lo. I just want you to begin to sing. I don't, want you to, I, don't, I don't want you to care about what your peers are doing. This is the moment for you and the Lord, okay? You and the Lord. So J-Lo, go ahead and sing for us, brother. You and the Lord right now. 